Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Today's show is being hosted by the Whistleblower Newsroom's very first guest host, Uwe Alschner of the German podcast Klartext, who conducted a stunning, very urgent interview with two brilliant, courageous doctors from Kenya, Dr. Stephen Karunga and Dr. Wahomi Ngare of the Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association. The doctors talked about their success with early COVID treatment in Kenya, and they also talked about the World Health Organization's history of bringing questionable vaccines to Africa and providing deadly health advice to people infected with COVID. Take a listen and share widely, please, because these doctors have come forward to save lives. Thank you very much, Drs. Karanja and Ngare from Kenya for this episode of Klartext. Klartext is a German word for speaking frankly, and that's what I'm set to do. You are representatives of the Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association, and you have issued a, an advisory on COVID-19 and also touching on the question of COVID-19 vaccine. You also so say that you know that drugs have been repurposed and effectively used uh, to treat COVID-19. Could you uh, please uh, explain to our audience what is it uh, you, um, you wanted to communicate in your advisory regarding COVID-19 and, and the treatment options? The issue is that we have um, a pandemic uh, that is in our hands. But uh, when uh, we look, we find that there is actually effective treatment against this, um, this virus that is known. We get very surprised that uh, nobody is talking about the treatment in our own country. And uh, there is a lot of uh, urgency and push to roll out uh, the experimental vac vaccines that are being spread all over the world. And our heartache has been that uh, as frontline doctors, because uh, we are working, we are gynecologists, we were not able to close our clinics when the government said people should go home because uh, Pregnant women and their children who are coming do not understand lockdowns and they do not understand um, go home and work from home. So we don't have that luxury. And we have been looking after our patients throughout this period. And people are dying. And the issue is now we know there is effective treatment. Why is it that it is not being mentioned? As trained healthcare workers, our business is to treat patients and prevent the loss of life and present injury. And uh, when we, uh, we see advisories by WHO, which our country is following, telling us that people who have a positive COVID test should be given some analgesics sent home to come back uh, after they develop difficulty in breathing. Uh, and we know that um, that is not the right thing to do we felt it was necessary to speak out. Our advisory in a matter of fact is actually the second advisory. Mm -hmm. the, first, the first advisory by us about the treatment of COVID-19 was issued in August 
last year. And we issued it after looking at the available evidence throughout the world about this disease and what can be done to prevent suffering, severe disease, death, and especially the exciting thing of preventing infection at the first instant. So in August, we wrote an advisory. You are not able to see it outside there in the world because it did not leave this country because the government of this country would, would hear nothing about it. Not surprising to us, but that is the first time we wrote the advisory. On the third of this, of this month, we released the next advisory and we intended that every Kenyan and every person in the world can access our point of view and maybe ask the question that we are asking. How come a disease that can be prevented from taking medicines, a disease whose progress can be arrested using medications, a disease which can be treated using medications, that this aspect of management of the problem is not being brought to bear on the disease. Number two, why is it that in spite of this medical treatment being available, everybody coming from the top of the powers of the world are pushing and talking too much about this vaccine, which has a lot of questions on its back, but they do not want to hear about anything. So maybe this explains why. We as clinicians, we are not researchers. Research becomes part of, springs out of our practice. Mm -hmm. But our primary duty is to treat patients. Why we must be told over and over again about the vaccine and nobody is ready to discuss helping our patients using a variable, effective, and cheap medication, especially in a country like Kenya. This forms the background. This forms the routine of our advisory. And therefore, we were not just asking questions. Our advisory is meant to 
jump to the next point and advise all people who may come in contact with our advisory to actually defy World Health Organization and the world powers and governments and do what we as clinical people know to be true to not only prevent themselves from catching the catching this disease but when they get the earliest symptoms from this disease to go into treatment mm -hmm. and this is something we have done for some time now ourselves so we can talk with authority this informs our advisory how is this different and what is how is it affecting your um, your country in in terms of patient load and and and, and burden on uh, on on the people who care for patients in our advisory we did uh, an analysis um, because um, we want to say that when you have available treatment then it is the treatment that you should be using all your energy to push uh, but because a vaccine had been brought we put it through a very simple test that uh, is just logical anytime you have something new that has come into the market there's a logical way that we we look at it and the first question we asked is uh, whether the vaccine was necessary and after you discover whether it's necessary, if you find it is necessary, then you must answer the question of whether it is efficacious. After that, you then ask the question, is it safe? And then after that, you ask the question, is it cost effective? Now, when we analyzed, um, the, the, by the time we were doing our, our advisory, it was about a year since uh, COVID had been declared uh, an, uh, a pandemic in our country. And um, so we had lost about uh, 1,900 uh, people, 1,900 uh, people. We have a population of 53 million. So if you do a quick, uh, quick calculation, you find that the risk of death from COVID-19 in our country is 0.0036%. Now, when we compare this with the loss of life uh, through road accidents, we found that uh, the risk of dying from a road accident in our country was twice as high as of uh, dying from COVID-19. We found it was six times more the risk. You had a higher risk, or you had a risk of up to six times more of dying from malaria. And you had uh, about a 13% risk of uh, higher risk of dying from HIV. And therefore, the answer to our first question was that this vaccine is totally unnecessary. You cannot risk the life of 99.99% of the population because of uh, and, and apply uh, an experimental vaccine to them when you have effective treatment. The other factors, of course, would then, once you answer that question, then the vaccine becomes unnecessary. It doesn't matter whether it is efficacious. It doesn't matter whether it is safe. But we can compare it to, we can still do the last bit, which is the cost effectiveness. 
Now, uh, our vaccine uh, from the government uh, um, spokespersons on the vaccines, the person who's in charge of the COVID team, he indicated that the country needs about 34 billion shillings to cover just uh, a small percentage of people who would include the health workers uh, and the, the military people, the police, the security fellows, the first phase of, of the vaccine rollout. And uh, when we did uh, uh, our math and compared this with the cost of the available treatment, we found that uh, even if you were to treat everybody who would get sick from the projections of the disease, then we'd need uh, about 6 billion to treat everybody who would uh, be at risk of this disease. So again, in terms of cost effectiveness, it did not make any sense. So it is true, we have a disease, we have COVID in the country, but compared to the other health problems that we are having, it really is not uh, um, the top priority. The reason we give it so much, uh, so much attention is because all these deaths are preventable. There is something we can do and we don't need to lose any more, any more people to COVID-19. So um, that uh, is, is basically how we analyze the situation. In, in a matter of um, a priority, if you were to just look at uh, the number of um, deaths from other diseases and other things that we need to deal with as a country, then for us is, is not uh, a major issue. Certainly it doesn't warrant uh, vaccination. And if we could just spend just a fraction of the energy being spent on, uh, on, on vaccinations, um, telling people that treatment is available and making it available, we would not lose any more lives from COVID-19. Right. Now, now Germany is, and, and I believe the whole of Europe is very much under, um, under the impression that now COVID has, has taken um, a run already um, all over the globe. But now there is a different um, situation as the new variants or even mutations. So it's a South African mutation and uh, there's a UK um, variant and, and then there is one from Brazil and I don't know what else, that the danger lies in these mutations. The treatment you have uh, mentioned is one at least as with regards to ivermectin, which is uh, uh, one of the two uh, options, is one which is effective against viral replication and also against um, the in infectious um, phase of, of the disease. So is this anything where a mutation might come in and changing the perspective of, uh, from, a, from a medical point of view? Um, I think there is something that uh, the world must change the narrative. This COVID is not a global issue. And this has to be very clearly understood, especially by Europe. Mm -hmm. Because this is a European, American, and South American problem. It is not an African problem. Why do I say this? If you look at Asia, this thing started in China, 
Now it is not a major problem in China. Basically, China has controlled it with nearly all the countries surrounding it. The deaths and sicknesses that you hear about in Europe are not there in the East. Come to Africa, except South Africa, which is basically semi-European. Mm -hmm. It is not a truly an African country. All the other African countries, basically, if Europe and America was not screaming everywhere about this disease, we would take it in our daily walks and treat it as we handle the other diseases. Mm -hmm. The problem is the hysteria that is coming from the world that it gives Africa economic aid, which is tied up to a lot of things such that a European problem, an American, South American problem is forced into our space as though it was that. It is crucial to understand what Dr. Ngare has just said, mm -hmm. that from when this disease came to this country up to today, we have now lost 2,000 lives. 2,000 lives in Africa, we cannot accept to lose them because even one African life is extremely important to us. But this is the number we hear being lost in some countries in Europe and America per day. It has taken us one year to it does not take one to be a genius to understand, therefore, that to us, a country where over 10,000 people die from malaria every year, past years, and currently, takes five times to six times more urgency than COVID. Mm -hmm. Of course, COVID is here. And even this thing they are calling the third wave is now ongoing here. Despite that, it cannot compare with road accidents or even malaria. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we must get this idea, this narrative of a global pandemic. It is not. It's a European American pandemic. Even the East is getting out of it. In Africa, it has come. It is here. We are we accept that. Number two, if you look at the mechanism of action of evermectin, it does not matter how many times all in which style this virus mutates, mm -hmm. Martin will still catch it because it is still needs to get not only in the cell, but in the nucleus. And wherever it mutates, it still keeps its root formation nearly the same. 
ivermectin, if you look at the mechanism of action, is barely using 40% of its arsenal against such nonsensical things like the COVID virus. If ivermectin puts 80% of his activity against these type of viruses, the corona group of whichever kind, of whichever mutation, it will not survive. I wish to tell, I wish to tell um, Clatex mm -hmm. that indeed, let the COVID mutate whichever way it wants. Ivermexin and its treatment here in Africa is waiting for it. And therefore we are not worried about mutations. In fact, what we are dealing with it currently now in this country is the mutation that is from South Africa and from Great Britain is already here. And we are killing it on site with Eva Makti. This, I don't know, and I believe because we are the same human beings that Germans and, and Italians and all those people who live in Europe, that they need to be a bit bold in their life. And I can advise them, I'm an old man myself, and I can advise them as an old doctor that I think they have lost something in courage to try new horizons that when they hear about a vaccine, they don't want to hear about something else. I wish you will be able to tell the Germans that our friendly advice is that they should try Ivermectin. They will be shocked. Could you please um, um, explain a little bit more in depth about your concerns regarding this drive towards a vaccine. What is what, what might be a problem here? From the time COVID started, there was already a narrative. In fact, again, you, you don't need to be very intelligent to see that there was a narrative that had already been prepared. And uh, before I go there, maybe it might be interesting for Europe to actually look at your numbers again. Because when we were looking at our case fatality rates uh, in our advisory, we found that the case fatality rate for this disease across the world was 2.2. If you take the whole global population and how many people have re recorded, uh, have, have died, how many people had been tested, is about 2.2%, uh, the, the, the case fatality rate. Huh? When you look at, when we compared our case fatality rate with America, we found it was similar, it's 1.75%. 1, 1 uh, so the case fatality, how many people are dying out of the number of people you have tested, uh, remained around that much. But when we looked at the mortality rates in America and the mortality rates here, the figures were very different. Now, the question then is, is it true that there are more deaths in Europe, or if you look at your total deaths for 2020, you will find actually there is no much difference except this particular reporting rate of deaths 
has actually been influenced um, statistically by anybody who dies and uh, has been tested for COVID, then is said to have died from COVID. And um, the, 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 I don't know what your data looks like in Germany, whether there is um, a true overall increase in death rates when you look at the total mortality. So that again uh, might be important to look at because what we have noticed is that there is um, an, an agenda that had been set. So right from the time COVID was discussed, we started being told by European leaders and WHO that we will not go back to normal unless a vaccine is found. And that narrative has been uh, throughout the year. But what was more horrifying for us here in, in, in the country is the daily announcements by the Ministry of Health of how many people have died of the disease, how many have been tested positive. And, uh, and that was read to the nation on a daily basis. I don't know whether that is happening also in Germany. Yeah. Now, th that is the most horrifying thing I've ever experienced in my whole life as a doctor, because we are not trained to give hopelessness. The, 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 when you pump people with that kind of information every day, death, 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 and you're still saying that only a vaccine will save us, then what you're doing is you're programming people to be ready to queue for this vaccine because it is the only savior. Now, when we go into the internet and we look at what our friends are doing out there and uh, other clinicians who are on the front line and what it is that they are using to treat this disease, and we find there is actually effective treatment, then the question is, how is it possible that the whole world is not talking about it? You just have small groups of clinicians talking to each other and saying it is possible, but nobody seems to be able to convince their government uh, to give this treatment and, and make it available to people. Now, that um, is very clear. Now, the, the media are not helping. And the media seems to be pushing the same narrative that the politicians are pushing. So the, the message of hope, the message of hope that there is something that can be done is being suppressed. So like Dr. Karanja is saying, if um, your government and our government was to go and say, everybody go to your local clinic and get ivermectin every, every once a week, we would actually destroy this infection overnight. It is possible to, 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 um, to get rid of it because ivermectin is even working as a prophylaxis, okay? But uh, ivermectin doesn't have a patent, so anybody can make it, so it doesn't have any money coming with it. And um, you, you can see that um, commercial interest has actually gone beyond the interest of humanity and that basic things that should be done by anybody uh, who cares for life uh, are being ignored. So that, that really is a, is a crisis. The, the, it is all engineered. It is engineered to keep people hopeless. It is engineered to make people uh, only consider the vaccine as a solution. And the um, treatment is not being um, discussed at all. Before that, we lost our first patient in this country. There is a lady called Bill Gates. Mrs. Um, is called Melinda Gates. 
she talked and I was listening. And she said something very shocking. She said, in Africa, in cities, they will find dead people on the roads. This disease had not already come. I do not know which medical school she went to, but I wanted to say even if she is a professor of, 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 of prophecy, how did she know that dead people were going to litter the world? And it appeared to Kenya Catholic Doctors Association that the communication was this, that unless you follow the instructions you are being given, people will die on the streets. It's over one year now, people in Africa, and particularly in this country, which we monitor daily, have refused to die on the streets. Number two, in the history of medicine, there was never any disease, including the Spanish flu, which was a nightmare for, for the world then, where vaccination became part of primary care. Primarily, the medical profession does not work like that. The first step is to find out the cause. Number two, the transmission. So that you can draw the third line, how do you stop it? And even before stopping it, you must look at the symptoms it produces mm -hmm. and how you treat these symptoms and go on to treat the people even as now you are asking, how are you going to stop further spread? Any logical, intelligent, biological vaccine have never come out before five years. This disease appears to have come last year, suddenly like that. A disease that we are told came about because some Chinese man was found eating some bats or whatever, or whatever thing they were eating. China is an advanced country in its own right. How this thing in one year left China, went to Europe, went throughout the world, killing at will, and medicine could not stop it. Natural disasters don't go like that. It bears the question, should the world hold somebody responsible for these Chinese who ate some bat? Or was there any bat in the first place? Number two, how come Melinda Gates talked about people dying on our streets and now her 
and her husband, Bill Gates, not renowned for their medical escapades, all the people who have funded all the vaccines that are being sold in Europe and America, how wise, how lucky do they know about a disease that is going to kill Africans on the roadside? And within one year, they have a vaccine that they are pushing beyond any simple treatment measures. The question is, is this vaccine a commercial enterprise? And if it is not, how come even after you are vaccinated, you must continue to mask, you must continue to sanitize, you must continue to keep distance. You can get infected after vaccination and you can transmit it. Somebody tell me clearly, how does the vaccine help you except helping the manufacturer make money? I ask this as a very, very serious question from a medical platform, because we are speaking as Kenya Medical Doctors Association. How come the vaccine is genetically modified? How come only this which is, which is genetically modified and therefore not a true vaccine, it is in reality gene therapy, why you are from Germany? Germany is more, probably the most advanced country in the world in technology. You tell me, how come Germans have allowed gene therapy, which they know to be true, and which you, you know to be true? Why are you calling it a vaccine? Why are you being deceptive? Is there a commercial interest here? Where does medicine kick in into this COVID, gene therapy, money-making empire? Where does medicine come in? And number two, when for us, for over six months, we have pointed out in this country, in collaboration with other colleagues in other parts of the world, that there is a treatment that can prevent and treat infection with this virus, whether it mutates or not, the way it was behaving with ivermectin before it mutated is exactly the same response we are getting with the mutation. And truly, I believe, as a medical person, it can mutate as much as it wants. We will still beat it at its own game. Why does Germany 
a very influential country, a country that our, our country here looks at with awe. Why are the European countries, which are the donors to our countries, why are they allowing Bill Gates, Melinda Gates and company to block the use of useful medication to human beings? Is it that, that, the, that the German government does not have the authority to say, to tell World Health Organization to go to hell? to tell Bill Gates to go to hell, that we are going to give our people treatment? Tell me this for once. You have addressed a very, very important question. And having had a political background myself, I'm not going to answer it right now because um, it, it might be very unpleasant. Uh, the autonomy of politicians um, in these days of modern communication is a problem in of uh, itself. So, but let me, I, I must be respectful of your time, but there's one issue I want to address and which relates to what you've been discussing now. So raising questions about the motivations for, for vaccines. In our country, People who have been skeptical about the approach, the mainstream approach, the WHO approach to uh, treating this, uh, handling this, uh, this pandemic, this epidemic, um, they were ostracized very, very quickly and almost always um, by ad hominem attacks, by saying you are a conspiracy theorist and why do you question um, the medical achievement of vaccines. Now, you as the, the Catholic Kenyan doctors, you have, there is an instant dating eight years back or something or, or, or 10 years back where you have made a very, very shocking discovery regarding official vaccine campaigns in your country. Can you just briefly explain what, what was the problem back then and, and how did you find out about it? In 1972, 1972, World Health Organization established a committee and funded it to work on anti-fertility vaccines. 1972, and they went on and actually built it and succeeded in marrying it up with the tetanus vaccine. And therefore, tetanus vaccine could be given in two forms. One, ordinarily for prevention of tetanus, and number two, as a fertility vaccine. And the ESA fertility vaccine, it is given differently from when it is given ordinarily. Okay. When given ordinarily, tetanus vaccine takes eight, takes eight to 10 years to be boosted. But if you want to make it into a fertility vaccine, 
you must give five to six doses at periods of six months difference so that you can prime the body to develop antibodies against the chemical they had put in the tetanus vaccine to act as the anti-fertility factor. This was human chorionic gonadotropin, HCG. This is in the public domain in the World Health Organization literature. In 1991, they tested that vaccine in three main countries, in Mexico, in Nicaragua, and in the Philippines. And they wanted to know whether it was working as a fertility vaccine. And they had their answers, and it was a nightmare for those ladies who were vaccinated. They were between 14 years and 49 years in the reproductive age. In 1993, I was invited for a conference at Houston, Texas, America. And during that conference, a doctor from Mexico presented what had happened to their country with that test. In Mexico, it had been given as a campaign. There is normally ordinary vaccination that children and adults are entitled to. And then there is something World Health Organization, when paid properly by somebody, gives us campaigns. They come to a country and say they want a campaign of one month or two months with a target of a particular number of people. That's what they did in Mexico, Nicaragua, and Philippines. Mm -hmm. And I got the reports of what they done at that time in 1993 in Houston, Texas. In 1995, here in this country, they brought the same tetanus vaccine. But now I was here and I raised the issue as a Catholic doctor that the World Health Organization have been irresponsible before. And that though we are in Africa, we must demand that this vaccine they have be tested before it is given to our people. It must be tested here in the country to rule out a simple thing that it does not have HCG. 1995, a meeting was called between three groups by the Kenya government, mm -hmm. the Ministry of Health, World Health Organization, and the Catholic Church. And the Kenya government demanded that the vaccine, true, a valid issue has been raised. The vaccine is in the country. Let us test it before it is given. I do not think there is any wrong with asking for that. Do you know what happened in 1995? WHO took every vial they had brought and went with it. There was no vaccination. Okay. Okay. 1980, come 1983, 1923. 
September. They came and ran and ran a campaign. 2013. 2013, mm -hmm. September. And gave that vaccine to 14 to 49-year-olds. And then tragedy struck because six months later, they were here, World Health Organization, to give the same vaccine, tetanus, which normally should be given after eight, 10 years, they want to give it after six months. And the Catholic doctors raised a simple question, why? Does this vaccine, and we ask, does this vaccine contain HCG? Is this the anti-fertility vaccine? You are trying to, by deceit, to pass over to this country and inject our children? I don't know whether you have been to Africa, but African leaders and African governments are very, very easy to be manipulated by people who present them with funds. Mm -hmm. And World Health Organization funds a lot of work in the Ministry of Health. And therefore, at that time, the Kenya government joined the ministry, joined World Health Organization and said, we, the Catholic doctors, were being difficult for no reason that World Health Organization has said it is okay. And therefore it is okay. But now we got some vials of what they were giving mm -hmm. and we tested it. And we did even the highest testing you can do, HPLC. And it showed, like we thought, like we expected, that it was the fertility vaccine. Mm -hmm. That is when now, in 2014 March. So that is when you heard about us. Mm -hmm. We were there before. Yes. We can smell these evil people from a distance. They came again later, of course. I don't know whether you know about that with the polio. The polio. And we showed that the polio had a problem suffered the same problems. They, World Health Organization, suffered the same problem. They came lately, about two or three years ago, with a human papilloma virus, against cancer of the, against some viruses that are associated, they are not cause, they don't cause, associated with the cancer of the cervix, and we caught them again. And again, they bounced. I hope I have answered your question about the history of confrontation and rejection of vaccines and especially brought in here, not by a scientific authority, but by a quasi political organization called World Health, World Health Organization because it is neither a scientific organization nor a university, nor a hospital, 
the guys are just quasi-political quillers. They come to Africa and hope they can use World Health Organization to browbeat the politicians and the publicans in Africa and hope that they can get away with it. If you, if you go back uh, to the history of vaccination, uh, which we, we did in our advisory, the idea is that uh, the initial vaccines were presenting the body with the infective material following the natural immune system and how it works. So basically you present the antigen or whatever it is that is causing the disease to what we call the epithelial surface. Okay, so like uh, chickenpox or using cowpox, but you, you had to um, make little uh, cuts on the skin to remove the, the thick layer of uh, the skin, the keratin, so that you expose the damage and that's where you would put your infective material. Now, what that does is that it allows the body to first uh, form what you call cellular immunity and then build on uh, the humoral immunity, which is the antibodies. Now, that's the way um, the, the antigen would present naturally to the body. So if I take something, it goes through my gut, uh, it will go through an epithelial surface, the body will have time to react to it. Um, if I get injured on my skin, then the, the, the mechanism is the same. So the initial vaccine followed this. So the smallpox vaccine and the, the TB one called the BCG was also injected under the skin and the polio was taken orally, which is how polio would usually infect you. Now these vaccines followed the, the body's natural system and therefore were very good and produced very strong immunity that lasted uh, a lifetime, okay? When we went and started injecting the infective material or the antigen beyond the epithelial surface into the muscle, we changed the initial um, uh, mechanism. Now you are skipping the epithelial surface and trying to stimulate cellular immunity through muscle. And sometimes you end up with antibodies building up better than the cellular immunity. But that came with it, the fact that you had to put uh, very strong preservatives in these vaccines. It also needed adjuvants, uh, so your, your mercury or your, your aluminum. And uh, it also meant that you now are growing the, the, the bacteria or the virus in some other material. So like uh, for, 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 you know, um, they would use yeast or they would use, uh, now they're using human cells. And when you clean out these uh, cells uh, in your final product, there will always be a little something of that yeast or whatever you use to multiply the, 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 the virus in it. And unfortunately, the body does not know that this was your, your production mechanism. So the body will react to the, to the yeast cells by producing antibodies against them. So what we have done now is we've presented, we've presented this, the, the body with very many extra chemicals so as to try to make the vaccine effective. 
And we have now started injuring our children with uh, aluminum toxicity. We are having autism. Uh, we are having um, uh, a lot of other autoimmune disorders coming up. And because autoimmune disorders are also associated with, uh, with cancer, then you are starting to get cancer cases going up. We have diabetes, which is an autoimmune disorder coming up. Uh, we have uh, acute and chronic renal failure, which are autoimmune disorders. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of problems are coming up because we did not respect the natural mechanism of the immune system. Now, when you come to these particular vaccines, now you go even further because now we are taking um, adenoviruses like the one that is here from Astro AstraZeneca is an adenovirus that is found in chimpanzees. And you genetically modify this adenovirus by putting in it genetic material from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That is the one that, um, that produces the spike proteins. So now you have a new virus that you have created in the laboratory that is an adenovirus with spike proteins, a genetically modified virus. And that is what you're going to inject into people to try and stimulate immunity. Now, when you go to the Pfizer and you go to the Moderna vaccines, then you have an MRI, a messenger RNA uh, that is completely 100% produced artificially in the laboratory. That is again coding for the spike proteins. And this is put in a, in a nanoparticle that is again 100% uh, created in the laboratory. So now you are dealing with a genetically modified artificial virus, 100% artificial virus. And this is what you're injecting into people because you have created a virus that is a, a artificial, is going to infect human cells and train them to produce um, the spike protein so that you can produce antibodies. Now, if you, if you, if you pay attention to that, uh, discussion, then you see we are no longer talking about the same vaccines that we started with. And, and, and this is where, you know, you find it is not that we are against vaccines. It is, it is um, that we are against stupidity. We are now creating diseases from what was supposed to it intended to help us. So we do not know how long uh, we would need to observe people to determine what kind of side effects this, um, these vaccines are going to give us. The HPV vaccine, for instance, uh, our main concern was aluminum poisoning. Okay. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, now we're beginning to hear from the countries that have been used it long enough that there are questions about uh, uh, premature menopause. So if you're talking about 10 years, or, or, or more to detect complications. And you studied the vaccine for six weeks to eight weeks for safety. Then we are not dealing with science anymore. We are dealing with, uh, with, uh, with political thuggery and, uh, and, um, and commercial interests that are beyond human uh, understanding. So what if we find out 10 years from now that there were major consequences to this vaccine that people did not need to begin with? 
What if we discover that uh, instead of giving ivermectin and the other available treatments, we took the vaccine and now we are having complications that will show up uh, eight to 10 years later. Then it's very worrying. And in that, uh, in that, um, in that uh, advisory, we have queried that and we have asked this. The adenovirus in the AstraZeneca vaccine, that is a GMO uh, virus, is also said to be non-replicating. All right? Mm -hmm. Is non-replicating, meaning that it will not multiply itself once it is in the host. Now, uh, the Moderna vaccines are also said to be the same. is the artificial virus, but it will not multiply when it comes into your cells. Okay, so it, uh, it will create the spike proteins, but it itself will not uh, replicate. Now, from our uh, understanding of um, GMOs, then you need to put in these viruses a terminator gene you need to put in it something that will prevent it from multiplying. And when we go to the maze story that we have put in that advisory, the thing is the terminator gene only shows up after the second generation seed. So you must have your GMO seed. You must plant it the first time to produce a seed you shall sell to the farmer. You will then plant that seed and it will give you fruit, but you can't get a third generation from it. So the terminator gene does not show until after the second generation seed. And that's when it fails. So the question then is, if, if, if just imagine, because this is, uh, is, is a question that is in our mind, it is in our hearts. If there is a terminator gene that can actually affect the human person in these vaccines that they're giving us, it means we shall not know about its effect until 50 years from now, because it means the person who receives it now will get a child, and then that child will not be able to get a baby. How do we in, in, in Africa start testing a vaccine to find out whether it has a terminator gene for us to be able to say that it is safe? So that's why for us, it's very important to go back to basic principles. Yes. Let us say we have treatment that is available. Let us go to our people and tell them, get the medicine that you require. For it to work, you must be treated immediately. The symptoms come. Because if you miss that first week of treatment, the virus will stop replicating just because of your immune system. But it means you have a very high viral load. And if you have a very high viral load, then you have a very high risk of going into the second stage, which is the inflammatory stage. When you are told to take your analgesics and go home and come back after you develop difficulty in breathing, what then you're being told is that you have just been sentenced to death. Because with COVID-19, no more pneumonia, by the time you have uh, you know, uh, oxygen saturation levels of 90, you're gasping for air, you're struggling. You don't need anybody to encourage you to go to hospital. But with COVID-19, people are recording 80s and 70s before they develop difficulty in breathing. By the time you have 70, uh, the level of 80s and 70s for three or four days, half your organs are already gone there is no ICU that is going to save you. So if you look at uh, what is happening in Europe, 
And you remember that WHO first said masks are not useful. Okay, so masks are not useful. WHO told, uh, told us not to do postmortems. You bury within 24 to 48 hours. And then it says, give uh, analgesics, send home, ask them to come back after they have difficulty in breathing. Then you have just committed all those people to death. It's actually a crime against humanity. In fact, when you look back at that advisory, there's a Lenko protocol that was described by Dr. Zelenko was in March of last year. Mm -hmm. And when he described it, he made it very clear that the hydrochloroquine must be used together with the zinc for it to be effective because it is the zinc that is stopping the replication. The, the hydrochloroquine allows it to go in. So if you take zinc alone, it's useless. If you take hydrochloroquine alone, it is useless. And this he described in March. And then he hadn't published any material. And the world of science demanded that he publishes something so that they can believe him. And it was not until June, July, when he had treated enough of his patients that he could do a retrospective study. And when he published this paper in, in a preprint, it was published as a preprint, uh, then the scientific world demanded that it must be in peer-reviewed journals. And it was not until December of last year that that paper was published. How many people did we lose between March and December? When you're talking about zinc, hydrochloroquine, and azithromycin, drugs that have always been there and that are known to be safe. Yes. But then a vaccine that has been produced in record time can be experimented in the whole world very quickly because um, there, there is an emergency. It, it is actually very disgusting. So whether you, you want to call it a conspiracy theory, whether you want to call it whatever it is, we are saying logically and through common sense, there is something very wrong with the way this disease has been handled by the World Health Organization and by the media and by the political leadership. And it just does not make any medical sense. There is something very wrong.